Well, welcome once again to Milton Bible Church Online. It's Mother's Day, and we're excited that you're here, and we're excited to celebrate together. Today, we celebrate and we salute our moms, or those of us who have others in our lives that kind of act like moms and, and, uh, and, and help steer us through the difficulties of life. Uh, it's just wonderful to be able to give thanks to God for the moms that God has given to us. Also, we want to continue our sermon series called The Other Side of Easter, Living in the Victory of the Cross. And so we want to uh, talk about that. One of the things that I've noticed of late is that uh, some of our moms are getting a bit down. I mean, naturally, whether mom or grandmother, you know, they want to hug their kids. They want to have their grandkids over. They want to have their family around their table. They are a little bit tired of backyard visits or front porch visits or Zooming, Zoom calls or FaceTime. They really want some, some interaction that's, that's more the old-fashioned way. And I can understand that. One of the things that we're seeing, especially among older adults, is a rise in a feeling of isolation, um, a f depression, uh, mental health issues, and even anxiety. And so one of the things that we want to talk about this morning is the fact that God really does have an answer for that. And that answer is the church. It is the church, God's family. Oftentimes we think of our relationship with God in individualistic terms, us and God, accepting Jesus as our personal savior, um, having a relationship with the Lord. And, you know, I'll admit probably 90% of sermons, you know, seem to lean towards that way. But the truth of the matter is that's only half true. The reality is that God, through the cross and what Christ has done for us in saving us, calls us into community. And that community is a people set apart for his glory. But it is a life that we do together. And it's a life that we're called into because of what Christ has done on the cross. We are called into his salvation, but also we are called into a community together. Our individual relationship with God is important. That's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, uh, he said, I've been crucified with Christ, so it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And he goes on to say, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the reality is our personal relationship with the living God is absolutely vital. We've got to settle that issue. That's got to be a priority in our lives. It's got to be important. And if you've never trusted Christ as your savior, that is the place to start, to understand that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sin, that he rose from the dead three days later, that he ascended into heaven, and he calls us to have faith in him and what he's done, but also to receive him as the Lord of our lives. And if you haven't done that yet, that is the place to start. So there's a part of us that individually we need to learn to walk with God. It's so important. But as well, but as well, it's important to know that as we cross the line of faith as an individual, 
it's also important to be a part of the community of faith. That's why we see in the early church in Acts chapter 2, it says this, after Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost, it says, those who received his words were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So the idea was Peter preached the gospel, the good news about Jesus. 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. They were baptized, identifying with the new church in Jerusalem and identifying with what Christ has done for them. And then the Bible says about 3,000 were added. They were added to the church. They were added to the community of faith. Right away, they were part of a community of faith. That's so important to be healthy. It's so important to gain strength and go forward. The very purpose of Christ and his death on the cross was not merely to save individual souls so that they could live a life of perpetual isolation. But the idea was that a new community whose members would belong to him and would belong to one another, that he would have a people unique for himself a people who would love him, a people who would know him, a people who have distinct values, distinct beliefs, distinct priorities, people who have a purpose, and it was, it was a common purpose, and it was a purpose in Christ. So not only are we saved individually, but we're also saved to something, and that is to a community. That's why it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 46, about the early church. This is what it says. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. What that means is they distributed the wealth, they distributed possessions so that nobody went without. And then it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. The community of Christ understand this, is the community of the cross. It is those who gather with, with, with a love for Jesus, a recognition of what he has done for them, and, and living together and living for common purpose and, and common goals, a family, a church family together. So today what I want to do is I want to look at really three marks of this new community in Christ. Three marks that identified the early church. And the first one, the first mark, is the mark of boldness, boldness. The word that the apostles loved to use for the word boldness is the Greek word parisia, which means outspokenness, frankness, plainness of speech. In other words, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. If you say you're gonna do something, you should do it. And if you can't do it, then say you can't. That's boldness. That's frankness of speech. And that was known throughout the early church. Now we see this both in our witness to the world and we see it in our prayers to God in the early church. Understand this, boldness doesn't lack humility. It doesn't carry around an arrogance. Boldness doesn't mean that you go saying things that demean others. It just means saying things the way they are. The truth spoken in love. We're to have a humility about us. 
Because as Doug Tuji said last week, the truth is that we are saved. We are in Christ, not by any merit that we have done or that we have inherent in ourselves, but because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. It is all because of what Jesus has done. It is all about him. And so we understand that. So there's no arrogance, there's no lack of humility, there's no spirit of I'm better than you, none of that. Because Christ has done it all for us. And we can be confident that in all things God is working for our good and nothing can separate us from the love of God. You see, the early church was marked by boldness in witness and boldness in prayer. And after being threatened to keep quiet and to keep their mouths shut, the early church asked God for more boldness, for more outspokenness to share the gospel of Christ. After getting released from jail and being threatened, uh, the, the early church gathered, and in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, this is what their prayer was to God. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What they prayed for was they asked for more boldness while the Spirit of God enacted the supernatural to heal and to save and to see the miraculous come to pass. They said, in, in light of all these things, God, that you're doing, give us boldness to speak, frankness, directness. Help us to communicate in such a way that it's not confusing and it's easy for people to understand. The early church was also bold in their prayers. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter four, let us then with confidence, and that word confidence can be translated boldness, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. I don't know if you've ever heard of a woman by the name of Sojourner Truth. She was born into slavery in Swartikill, New York. And Sojourner Truth uh, escaped to freedom with her infant daughter in 1826. She was six feet tall with a powerful voice and she was driven by a deep religious conviction after having met the risen Christ. Truth was an ardent abolitionist and women's rights activist. And among many of Truth's legacies, the tone and substance of her language looms large. She traveled across the country, city to city, making speeches, speeches about emancipation, political action, racism, women's rights and segregation. And perhaps her best known speech was a stirring speech called Ain't I a Woman that she delivered in Ohio in 1851. Listen, I would encourage you to read that speech online. It's a short speech, but it's a fabulous speech called Ain't I a Woman. It's fabulous. And when Truth died in 1883, her funeral was held in her hometown of Battle Creek, Michigan. 
And so many people lined the streets and so many people attended her funeral and so many people streamed by her casket. It was the largest funeral in the history of Battle Creek, Michigan up to that point. It was a testimony of her heroic and courageous voice that touched so many around her. Listen, we need boldness today. We need a bold church. We don't need a silent church. We need a bold church, a Holy Spirit boldness in witness and in prayer. Let me ask you something. Are you bold for God? Would the people who know you say that you are a bold person that speaks the truth in love? That there's a boldness about you? Let's speak God's truth in love. Let's be confident in prayer. And let's see God change the world. That's the first mark of the early church. Second one, second mark of the early church, living on the other side of the cross, living on the other side of Easter, was the mark of love. Love. Do you know what? Many people, they've cast an image of God as an angry God. And some people even live in fear. But scripture tells us that perfect love casts out fear. In fact, in John, 1 John 4, 19, it says this, we love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, guess what? He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, what love does is it does two things. The first thing that love does is that it frees us completely. It frees us to walk with him, frees us from the confines and the chains of sin. It frees us from the fear of death. It frees us to live fully for God. But secondly, it also hems us in. It hems us in because those who have been set free have been set free for a purpose. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says this, for the love of Christ controls us or constrains us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might uh, no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, we are not called to live for ourselves, by ourselves, in Christ, who for our sakes died and was raised again. What we are called to do is to live a life of love, a life of service, a life of giving away our life because we're free to do that. We've been set free in Christ to live not for ourselves, but for his purposes and for his will and for his glory. And that is the purpose of our freedom. It's also the reason of our great motivation. There was a woman in the 1800s by the name of Jane Stanford. And if you looked at her life, around 1880, Jane Stanford seemed to have it all. 
She was married to a rich dude by the name of Leland Stanford, um, who was a former governor of California. He was the wealthy president of the, of the uh, uh, railroad called the Pacific, uh, the Central Pacific Railroad. And she had a son that she adored. Guess what his name was? Leland Jr. Leland Jr. He was a smart and lively kid who wanted to be an archaeologist. So when he was 15, Leland Sr. and Jane and Leland Jr., they went over to the Mediterranean to do a tour of archaeological sites. Sadly, while there, the boy contracted typhoid and he died in Italy in 1884. His father was heartbroken, but his mother was so devastated that many of Jane's friends said that she would never recover. She was completely ruined. And then in 1891, the bereaved parents opened Stanford University as a memorial to their son. But less than two years later, Leland Sr. died. And the place nearly shut down for good. You see, the government froze all of the assets of the Leland family and demanded payment for all the loans that had been given for Stanford, Univers Stanford University by Central Pacific. It cut off millions of dollars to both Jane and the university. And no one thought that the grieving Jane would have any possibility of seeing this thing through. But she refused to give up on the school or the burden that was placed upon her. In fact, she didn't increase tuition at all. She sold all of her jewelry. On her estate, she rented out rooms. She rented out buildings. There were people coming and going everywhere. She did everything she could to keep the university going. Finally, after five years, the government released the assets, millions of dollars, to Jane that were being held in trust. And they were given to her. And that money was able to be invested back in the university and in the students' lives that she loved. Well, it's interesting. But a few years ago, this mother's loving memorial to her son beat Harvard University as more parents in the United States chose Stanford as the place they wanted their children to attend for un their university years. Now, that's quite a tribute to someone who is motivated by her love for her son. And every time you think of Stanford University or you see them play basketball or football or you hear about their great accomplishments, I want you to think of that Lady Jane who really did this as a tribute of a mother's love to a son. You see, what happens about with love is love frees us. It frees us, but it also controls us. And love motivates us to do greater things than we ever thought we could possibly do or imagine, to put greater motivation and energy 
and time and effort into things that, that, that we never thought would be possible. That's what love does in our hearts. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a love project? Do you have something that God has given you, that God has put in your heart for his glory? Has God given you a love project? And moms, you know what, I love you, but don't tell me it's your children. Because you know what, that's a little selfish, and it's all about you. You know, forgive me for that, but it's true, right? A love project. Giving yourself away to others, for others, for the glory of God. Something that God calls you into. Because love not only frees us, but love constrains us. And it constrains us for his glory. Living in the victory of the cross is marked by boldness and love. But there's a third mark. A third mark. And that third mark is joy. It's joy. Joy is a third mark of those who have been redeemed by the cross. Living on the other side of Easter. You see, when the Babylonian captivities came uh, to Jerusalem after uh, coming out of uh, being captive for so many years and an entire generation and more, the Bible says that their mouths were filled with laughter and their tongues with sounds of joy. In other words, the old humiliations were over. They'd been set free. And so they came back to Jerusalem dancing and laughing and celebrating the freedom that God had given to them in bringing them out of captivity. It was time to sing and to dance and to have a sanctified party. Do you know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says this. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstance, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And what the writer uh, to the Thessalonians does is he says, I've got a bunch of things that are the will of God for your life. And let's start with the most important. Let's start with joy. Let's start with rejoicing. Let's start with learning to, to enjoy all that God has given in all that God is in our lives. Rejoice. Rejoice is the call amongst Christians. Rejoice always. Boldness, love, and joy. They're not purely private. They're not just for us alone. They're not interior experiences, but they're actually public demonstrations. They're to distinguish the public life of the church and the relationship that Christians have with one another, especially in the area of worship. Do you know that other major religion, religions, other major religions in the world give no place to the need or grace of recognition? Do you know what? In a Buddhist temple, you will never hear the cry of praise. In fact, in a mosque, they don't sing. Their prayers at their highest are of submission and of request. They seldom reach the glad note of thanksgiving. But Christians, on the other hand, 
It's very different. When they come together, it's impossible to stop them from singing. Uh, especially, you know, as they, if they come out, ever get out of this crazy pandemic, I will tell you, it is such a time of joy to be together when we're, when we're able to gather together to have communion, to celebrate what Christ has done for us and just and really go after God because his presence is amongst us. Understand this, Sunday is a celebration day. We're told to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, in the Old Testament scriptures, David danced before the Lord with all his might. And you know, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, met for the first time, both women were, were pregnant. They were with child. And as soon as Mary spoke, Elizabeth said, the child within me leapt with joy because she heard the voice of the mother of the Son of God. You know what? Paul expresses our common joyful, exal our common joyful exaltation when he alludes to the best-known Jewish festival of Passover. In 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, he says this, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed let us therefore celebrate the festival. He says, listen, we, on the cross, all sacrifices that we need to be made were made. And so now it is finished. And because it is finished and we live on the other side of the cross, on the other side of Easter, in light of what Christ has done for us, he said, it's time to celebrate. Let's celebrate. And the festival, of course, Paul is referring to, you know, as I said, is the festival of Passover. But more specifically, the communal meal that was eaten during the evening of the 15th Nisan, immediately after the killing of the Paschal lambs that afternoon. And the foundation of the people's rejoicing was the costly freedom that they experienced as a nation when they left Egypt. And for the Christian community, it's a celebration of the costly redemption that we have found in Christ through his sacrifice on the cross. That is why when we see a picture in heaven, in the book of Revelation, uh, of, of the heavenly host worshiping Jesus, the ascended Christ, this is what it says in Revelation chapter five. It says, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, this is what they said. What does it say with a quiet voice? No, with a loud voice, a loud voice, they worshiped him. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And what they're doing is they're just throwing worship after worship, bouquet after bouquet. 
Blessing after blessing, praise after praise. That is how heaven worships the lamb who was slain for the sin of the world. That is to be a picture of the church on earth as it is in heaven. Worshiping God, loving him, being joyful, dancing, celebrating, singing, being the redeemed people of God who live on the other side of Easter, knowing what it is to be set free through Christ's work on the cross. The marks of the people of the cross are boldness, love, and joy praising his name. So let me ask you, as we wrap up this Mother's Day, has anything been squishing your boldness lately? Is there fear in your heart of what you might say and how people might react? And what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if, and you play this little game all the way through until you end up being silent and nothing is said? God, make us bold. God, make us bold again. God, fill our hearts with courage so that we are not discouraged, but we are the people of courage and we will speak and not be silent. Lord, fill us with your love so that we might not just live for ourselves, protecting ourselves, worried about ourselves, me, my own, you know, us for and no more. May that not be us. But may we live a life of love that sets us free, free to be motivated and constrained and controlled by the love of God, to do the works that God has prepared in the heavens to do through the power of his Holy Spirit. And Lord, let me the joy of the Lord be our strength. May we be a joyful, rejoicing, dancing, exhilarated, excited people of praise and proclamation, a people who can't sit still, a people who can't, you know, stand idly, a people who can't be silent when they are together and when they're singing the praises of God because they're so in love with Jesus and so grateful for all that he has done for us. Father, let us live fully, the full life that you promised us and invited us into through the cross of Christ. May we just live fully in him, in the victory of the cross. So moms, lead the way. I know you can. I know you're amazing. You have so much courage, so much passion. There's so much in your heart that God is putting in there even now, even as we speak. So God bless you. God keep you. May the Lord have his hand upon you. And church, as we kind of close this uh, time together on this Mother's Day, you know, make sure you reach out 
And if you can't hug your own mom, you know, make sure you reach out and touch them in some other way or somebody else's mom. Just make sure, uh, just make sure you encourage somebody today. God bless you. Love you, church. Looking forward to seeing you very soon. In Christ's name, amen.